Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, we have Marcus Quam from Webster, South Dakota, on the show for the first time. Uh, Marcus is the owner and operator of Real Therapy Guide Service. Marcus is a fishing guide year-round in the Glacial Lakes region of South Dakota. So we spend most of our time talking about that. Spring walleye opportunities in the Glacial Lakes region of South Dakota. Uh, we've talked a, a to all kinds of people about different topics over the years on this podcast of that part of the world but this is our first time having marcus on and it's it's a real treat marcus is uh, one of the leaders of the pack down in that part of the world uh, for many many years on an average year there's a lot of great fishing opportunities that open up pretty early for walleyes on lakes that are easily navigable fun to fish uh, great uh, fishing opportunities you know, before Minnesota and Wisconsin openers are even happening as far as walleyes go, targeting walleyes. Uh, and so it's a really, really cool, fun opportunity, and it's different than the river opportunities that we're typically talking about this time of year. Uh, so, yeah, just a, just a really cool conversation, just highlighting the fishing opportunities. And, of course, you know, we're going to get into some technical stuff and, and some recommendations from Marcus uh, that he's built up over the years on how to find and catch fish. Uh, on these these lakes and and to really capitalize on these opportunities. So, anyways, I'm rambling on here. I'm really leaning into this intro, uh, but yeah, let's get into it. We're talking spring walleyes in the Glacial Lakes region of South Dakota with one of the best, Marcus Quam. I want to get to know you a little bit, even like go way back. Where are you from? Where were you? Where did you cut your teeth in fishing? What was some of your mentorship like? Like what were some of the big influences in in your fishing career? And then kind of get us up to speed to where you're at today. Go ahead. So I'm originally from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I graduated in a little town just north of there, about 20 miles. Um, I grew up fishing Eastern South Dakota with my dad mostly. And uh, we, uh, more than anything, I remember our trips out to the Missouri River when I was a kid, but I ended up, uh, he helped me buy a boat when I was like, oh, probably about 15 years old, just a little 16-foot lund with a 25 horse, and it was too small for the river. So then I got introduced into fishing more of the lakes up here in northeast South Dakota, and that's where I live now is the Webster, Webster South Dakota area. Right on. And, and you guide, you guide full time, you guide year round. Tell me a little bit about that, like, like your business, what you offer and, um, you know, just kind of how that area lays out. Like how many lakes do you, do you guide on? Like how big of a footprint do you have there? So right here in the Webster area, I'd say I travel within, uh, 50 miles of town. Um, we've got all the way over to big stone. We get all the way down to, I would say, Dry Lake uh, by Willow Lake, and we'll travel up to just about the North Dakota border. Um, right now, all we're doing is snow bear trips. Uh, originally, when I started guiding, I uh, used to do what all the Devil Devil's Lake guides do, is run out of a uh, Suburban and uh, do portables. But with all the snow we've got since I started doing, I transitioned over to snow bear. Now we've grown grown into a business where that's all we offer now. So we, uh, I think we run seven of them, seven, eight of them right now this year is what we got going. When does your open water season kind of start? Because that's kind of what we're going to end up talking about quite a bit here in this show is a little bit more of that open water springtime stuff. Tell me a little bit about your business there. So, you know, every year is a little bit different when the ice comes off here in the Dakotas or South Dakota, Webster area in general, I would say. 
on a typical year, we'll get started from mid to the end of April. And then uh, we run our trips all the way to middle and October, depending on weather. And we spend, yeah, we spend all year doing it all right here out of Webster. I don't really have a show that really supremely highlights just how much fishing opportunity is in that part of the world, that Webster, South Dakota, that whole like northeastern swath of South Dakota. It's got all that water up there and so many like fishable bodies of water. I I, I imagine there's an actual statistic out there, like how many lakes there are, but there's just so many. Um, And, you know, but that being said, I'm kind of, I just want to start there pretty general. I want to talk about the fishing opportunities that you, you know, that you guide on that, that are out there for the average angler in the spring. And I think this is, it's fun to talk about because, you know, if you're from Minnesota or Wisconsin, especially in the spring, you kind of anticipate, uh, you know, those openers in, in May, you know, mid-May or whatever, you know, those, those walleye openers. Um, you know, maybe some guys have traveled to, say, some river destinations or whatever. But talking about lake fishing and just how good the fishing is there in that, you know, on those smaller lakes, totally suitable for you know, smaller setups or pretty modest setups, right? I mean, talk about that area, the fishing opportunities, what those lakes are like and, and, and what it's like to fish that area, you know, in the springtime after the ice comes out. So I'd say, you know, right here in Webster, I mean, I feel like I could be on 20 different lakes within 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes from town. Um, and a lot of them are small. I mean, thousand acre lakes all the way up to, uh, Bitter and Wah Bay, which would be our biggest in the high 20,000 acres. Um, but there's definitely your options depending, you know, in the Dakotas, we got plenty of wind, but we have plenty of options where we can get out of it. So typically we don't miss too many days a year. Um, most of our fishing is for walleyes in the boat. You do get uh, plenty of northerns mixed in, white bass. Uh, we do have a couple lakes with crappies and bluegills in them. But the main species that we target is walleyes. On one hand, there's a lot of similarities to those lakes in that area and how they look, how they set up, because they were kind of formed all the same, right? So there's a lot of consistencies. But at the same time, as we know, every lake, every different body of water fishes a little differently. Maybe there's year classes of fish that are cycling through, and so some lakes are more popular for certain reasons. And then next year, they they come and go. Talk a little bit about along those lines of like, you know, what are some of those consistencies when we're talking about the lakes out there, just to kind of set that expectation? Well, I'd say one thing that sticks out in my head here is Right here in this area, we were just talking about this the other night after we got done cleaning fish. We might still have ice right in Webster, but there's like a two-week period where if we go 40 miles south of town, we can actually get the boats out. And generally, like, we'll start fishing south of town when ice comes off. And then as the ice progresses, we can just follow that transition of those fish from pre-spawn or post-spawn or whatever whatever's going better for us at the time and we'll be able to hit like a three-week window where one the lakes i would say south of us those fish are spawned out and those fish north of us still haven't even spawned yet um a lot of i mean yeah a lot of these lakes are super similar same depths same kind of structure 
Uh, so if you strike out on one and you're confident in the pattern, you can go to the other one and probably do well also. Are you sort of just like eager to get out in a boat because you've been in a snow bear all year? Or is the is there something about the fishing when you get in a boat that's just that good? I I am personally more of a boat fisherman than I am an ice fisherman. Not that I don't love ice fishing, but yeah, you sit in the square box and that wall gets smaller and smaller every day in the boat. You're out in the sun, get a little bit of breeze on you. I'm not saying you can't do that ice fishing, but now I've grown accustomed to the temperature of a snow bear. But uh, yeah, I like yeah, I definitely like getting out in the boat, and you know the presentations that we use here are my favorite of the season. Typically, we're pitching at least for the first month, month and a half of the season, and I would say a guy could probably do it all year. You could cast for walleyes all year in the Webster if you wanted to, uh, which is my favorite way to fish. And that's why I grew to love this area. I, uh, when I was in high school, I actually fished in a bass club and we had some, uh, club tournaments up here. And once I found out that they were catching walleyes cast and I kind of got drawn to this area and that's why I spent so much time and kind of chose this area, honestly. Do you feel like the bite picks up in the spring or do you feel like it's sort of a carryover like that late ice, you know, that late ice bite for the walleye season or is every spring um, kind of its own beast? I feel like our fish are wired different up here and uh, I don't know what I compare to like maybe the Missouri River or something would be something that's kind of completely opposite there. You know, you got to wait for that water to warm up before you start using some faster and more or, uh, bigger tactics or presentations we're here i mean it can be a couple weeks after ice off and we're already casting crankbaits and those fish are just crushing them but our, our water does warm up fast here being uh flooded sloughs and that kind of stuff with all the mud and the cattails and that kind of stuff so i would say our fishing here is our fish are very friendly in the spring how do most of these lakes fish? I mean, g- give me sort of like almost like a like a hypothetical story of, of, of a typical early spring day. You know, like how big are these lakes? Do you fish, you know, multiple lakes in a day? How fast do you fish them? The kind of presentations you like to and why, you know, kind of give me a whole like sort of a hypothetical synopsis of a good spring day of fishing for you. Well, typically I'll start on, I would say, smaller to mid-sized lakes early in the year because they ice off first and the water is going to warm faster. Um, I do not go fish early in the morning. It seems like our best fishing after ice off is from like three o'clock on to where that water hits the warmest temperature of the day. Not that you can't catch fish early, but I would rather spend my time knowing when the best time is going to be. And I would say that's three o'clock to sunset first you know, first open water ice off trips. Um, most of the time, I'll, I don't do anything too special. I, I'm not a live bait guy. I'm pretty much all artificial. So I will have probably some sort of jig with hair tied on. And then I'll have just like a quarter ounce jig and uh, some kind of split tail minnow plastic or fluke style plastic. And I'll just drive around inside imaging till I see these fish. A lot of times you're, fishing like that transition from when they're from where they're going to be spawning to where the i would say like a muddy bay or something would be because that muddy bay is going to warm up faster and that's going to start drawing those fish in 
and then you're going to get them creeping over to some rock or gravel where they're going to start spawning. Are you pretty much always just like shoreline oriented? Do you cruise around the islands if there is any? Like, like uh, you know, uh, how deep of water are you sort of expecting to see them in? Like, give me sort of like the the gist of your strategy there when you're just getting out and breaking down water with the electronics. So I would say most of our fish are shoreline related. Uh, there are some lakes with islands or humps on them and stuff, but for for the most part, we're shoreline related. Um, I'm going to say I'm not over six or eight foot. I'm either probably eight foot or shallower most of the time. Um, I think by fishing that time of the day, those fish have pushed up and they're warming or sunning themselves. So we'll find them in anywhere from, I would say, two to five foot. So I'll keep that boat in that six to eight foot range. And uh, it, uh, it seems to me that, you know, calmer, sunnier days are actually kind of what you want in the spring right away. Like, would you describe some of your successful fishing as like finding the X or finding a spot where, you, where you're seeing fish consistently? Or do you fish areas more so? I would say I fish more uh, areas than I do spot-on-the-spot kind of things. I I think the the spot-on-the-spot stuff is more later after these fish have got done spawning and different weed lines or rock piles where they might be setting up. And in the springtime, it's pretty general. I mean, you'll find areas like a tighter area that's better, but it's not like I have to fish this point or that tree right there. It's it's pretty broad, I would say. Do you feel like it's a different, you know, most of these lakes will fish different every day this time of year? Or can you kind of narrow down some of the good areas that you can kind of fish out for a week or two? Well, I would I would say our lakes are definitely very wind-orientated also, um, which we have plenty of here in South Dakota oh, yeah. and oh, North yeah. Dakota. So, I mean, that wind is either going to really help you or it's going to hurt you because some of that stuff almost gets too muddy and turned up in the spring where you can't fish effectively or they probably can't see your bait and presentation. Um, but you, ne- you never want to sit on the calm side of the lake ever. I would say most of the time you're going to want to be on something that's getting swept down by the wind or where the wind's directly going into it. I would, uh, but there is a, there is a level of wind that is, that is too much and that is going to hurt you. But I would say if you have consistent weather and those same wind pattern, you could probably fish the same areas for quite a while. Right on. Yeah. I think that's good. You know, when, when you're just kind of painting that picture in your head or even just like setting your expectation, you know, for, for somebody that's either never been there before, or maybe somebody that's gone there and kind of struggled and they're trying to figure out why, you know, um, you know, for generally speaking, walleyes are, they're, they're very, uh, capable of being nomadic and just being here and then being gone. Um, you know, but I think it's great information to think about fishing areas versus worrying about spots. Cause I think the average or just generalizing walleye anglers as a whole, based on like the questions and information that I get, it seems like, I think it's fair to say, and I'm probably pretty guilty of it myself too. 
you know, most of all our anglers are pretty spot oriented. You know, we want to see something that we can cast at uh, or see something on the electronics that just gives us the indication that we got to be there, you know, you know, otherwise we won't slow the boat down. So it's like fishing those areas, I think is just a big deal. I think that's just a big piece of advice to take away. But, you know, you were talking about tough days. We're talking about what would be some of the conditions or maybe a weather event? Maybe just kind of describe a bit of a tough day and some things that come to mind for you as far as what you got to do to get bit when the conditions aren't like peak. So on a tough day, like what I would feel like would be a tough day is something that is blowing and overcast. And by blowing, I'm going to say 20, 25 mile an hour plus early in the season. I mean, that not only is it probably going to stir up the water or something in an area where you want to fish, but it also makes it hard to feel a jig too, you know? And, uh, I mean, some of the things that I do on a tough day is I try to find a smaller body of water or a little bay or a nook, something that's kind of get blown into, but not blown right in on. And then I'll just kind of put the boat and forward into the wind and, I'll either spot lock and I'll slow down with a uh, smaller jig in plastic and just work it. Or I'll, I, I, there's a lot of days where I'll just drive around and try to find them. And then uh, you just, you do what you have to and you spot lock and you just kind of let the wind sweep your rod or your, your line through those fish or but there's, there's days where you definitely can't do what you want to do. And I would say, most of our fishing's all pitching right in the spring, so there's not really anything else you can do. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is the official fishing retailer of the JMO Podcast. So whether you shop online or in store, Shields offers anglers the best retail buying experience bar none. I can't say enough about my buying experiences in my local Shields, and I can tell you that shopping at Shields over the years has helped me become a better angler. Because when you go into a Shields and you have questions or you think you know what you need, rarely do I leave a Shields store with just the items I think I needed to buy that day. But I've had a great insightful conversations, you know, shared ideas and perspectives with the sales associates there that are oftentimes very avid anglers themselves. In fact, you know, in my local Shields, I think everybody there could could offer a great fishing conversation. And I look forward to that. You know, I anticipate that. I expect that when I go into a Shields, I'm not just going to get a tutorial on some electronics questions that I have. Uh, I'm not just going to shop for rods or gear or terminal tackle. A great fishing conversation typically leaves me enjoying my experience that much more, but also the new ideas. You can bounce any question you want off of these people. And uh, it just, I can't say enough about my experiences and it's helped me for that reason, become a better angler over the years. So whenever I think I need something or I've got questions, I head to Shields and you should too. The link is in the description when the show is over and you know more about what you need to buy, or maybe you have some questions, just start there. The directions are easy. Go to the description of this podcast, find the link to Shields Fishing Department and check out what they got. Now let's get back to this interview with Marcus Quam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned downsizing. Like when you get on fish on a day that's just not ideal, is downsizing kind of basically the number one thing that you can do to try to capture a bite? Or when the water gets turned up a little bit, do you, are you ever 
you know, really trying to incorporate noise or rattle, uh, you know, a paddle tail, some of these jigs now with the rattle chambers in them. I mean, you know, are there, is some of that stuff a little bit snake oil or, or, or some of those things kind of handy in your bag of tricks on a tough day? So on a tough day for me, honestly, my favorite thing is using a jig with hair on it. Two jigs that I like to use in the spring, one's a VMC hot skirt and the other one's a VMC moon eye jig. And I will just kind of rifle through those two, depending on uh, the day and the conditions. I'll change colors. I'll go down in size. I don't go much lower than eighth ounce, personally. Um, I like to run quarters if I can get by with it. But if I have to downsize, I'll go to an eighth, and I will just rifle through colors or a different kind of plastic to try to get a bite. But I don't know. Maybe I'm stuck in my ways. but. I feel like I can always figure something out with a different color or a different size of hair jig on a tough day. I think, you know, you don't have to be stuck in your ways. When you have that much experience, you just, sometimes you just know, you know, sometimes you just got to you, you just have that, that sixth sense that's sort of built up over time. And that's kind of what I like tapping into with, with that, those kind of questions. Like, you know, you talk about changing color a little bit. Um, do you feel like the fish can be super color oriented. What would be a story you can remember sort of like a year or a season that you remember where the conditions were just so, and you felt like color was just like a big deal. Well, I, I remember a lead for bite from a couple of years ago and it didn't matter what bait it was. It was a Berkeley bait. It didn't matter if it was a flicker shad, flicker minnow, jointed flicker shad. If it wasn't that color, you didn't get bit. And I don't know what make the fish decide that this is the one they want to eat or why they're only eating that color. I, I, I can't figure that out because I'm personally, I'm more about being on the right fish instead of what I'm using. And I mean, it does make a difference and I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a good idea of how to, figure out this is the best color other than just rifling through baits and trying different things but as anglers it seems like everybody's got a story about how you know color mattered at least once or twice in in your life and it's like you know at some point in time especially on tough days when you really got to pull out your bag of tricks it seems like fishing with confidence or fishing a color that has confidence gives you confidence is a big deal i uh yeah i got a buddy that custom paints crankbaits and I swore I was never going to get into that game. And then you find uh, a Shields exclusive or some kind of exclusive crankbait that they discontinued. And that was your favorite color. <laughs> and then you have them paint a few of them. He's like, oh, try a couple of these. You get a couple of those from you. And all of a sudden you got five thirty-seven hundreds full of crankbaits that you can't buy anywhere. And the two you have is the color that's working. Oh yeah. 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 Just ask a tournament guy, right? They know, they know what the fish are going to bite on. Cause it's the, it's the bait that they only have one or two of in their tackle box. Just the yeah. way she goes, man. That Yeah. And the other thing you said, you know, talking about jig size, you know, as far as like, if you're downsizing your hair jigs or whatever, you know, I want to kind of dig into that a little bit as far as, you know, kind of your experience, your opinions, you know, just memories that you have, like, you know, talking about jig size, why does jig size matter so much? I feel like it's, you know, it's kind of a cadence thing, right? Like if you can slow yourself down a little bit and and just let it sit in front of those fish. Tell me that story, you know, your version of that story. When you're downsizing on a tougher spring day, you know, where the water's cold, the wind has been blowing, like 
the water's turned up a little bit. Talk a little bit about what a smaller jig does for your presentation. So, I mean, I can think back to when I was a kid and watching uh, some old in fisherman videos with Al Linder and him talking about jig colors and jig sizes. And the one thing that stuck in my head from one of those videos was the lift is the attraction, the fall is the strike. So by changing your jig size, all you're doing is you're getting a slower or faster lift and a slower or faster drop. And it just boils down to that probably sitting in front of the fish's face either a little bit longer so he has more time to decide whether he wants to eat it or you're on the other spectrum where you're going faster and it's one of those uh, bite, you know, just bites out of aggression. Right on. Do you ever, do you ever, uh, you know, talking a little bit about setup now, um, you know, do you sort of have like a bread and butter rod reel line setup recommendation? I mean, do you, do you get pretty specific with your pitching setups? I do. I, uh, I prefer to run a seven foot, anything six ten to seven two in a medium light. And I do like to pitch with mono and jigs. I, uh, I feel like, I don't, I do a lot of pitching and I feel like on a jig bite, um, that just, a plastic or hair jig that mono outfishes braid almost every day I'm in the boat. And I think it's just something with the, you know, you're lifting your fall. I don't know if the wind carries it a little bit. I know it definitely falls just a touch slower, but if I'm going to pitch a jig and I can get by with it, I like to use mono. Do you feel you so you're saying you feel like it gets you more bites versus you know hook sets and landing fish? I feel like a lot of the a lot of the conversations around pitching setups with braid versus mono is just like confidence in like bite detection and hook sets. But you you, you feel like it gets you more bites too? I do, I, I do. I mean, if you watch anybody that's really really good at pitching jigs. And more in a river situation, they're most of the time, like the guys I know, they all run mono. And I, I don't know why it is. I know I know in current that uh, the braid gets cuts the current better, but I feel like uh, the mono kind of gets drugged down and you might have a little bit more wild, slower action. I don't know. I, I, I just, yeah, I get to, I'm fortunate enough where I get to go fishing almost every day. So you, I'm, what I'm doing might not be the best or right, but it, like you said, it is what a guy gets confidence in. You know, a lot of people say, well, okay, I got both rigged up. There's a time and a place for both as you know, some people swear by one and then other people swear by the other. So there's almost like three different families in that conversation. When I get around to talking to people, you know, and everybody comes from different backgrounds and different experience, but I feel like there's... It's um it's more of a graduation to go from say braid to to mono like like you know I I think braid gives a lot of people confidence you know you, you cast it farther they say or you know no no memory in the line you can see the bites you know whatever like there's a certain like beginner's level to that conversation that's just my opinion and that's probably where I'm at as an angler but like man I know some really stud jig fishermen both guides uh, tournament anglers and just everyday guys. And it seems like the longer they've fished wherever they're at, jig and walleye, especially spring walleyes, there's a lot of guys that pitch mono 
and and swear by it just like you and everybody's got maybe just a little bit different reason you know hierarchy of reasons why it gives them confidence but you know, I think uh I think that's great speaking to your experience I think that's great great information uh just gives a guy something to think about if he's not doing it for sure for you sure I think everybody should have at least one rod ready with mono in the spring. And I mean, every presentation I have, I have mono rods and braid rods because there's days where the wind's blowing and that's like in a tough scenario. If I feel like my line is getting sweet too much by the wind, I'm going to go to braid so I can keep better contact with the bottom and feel more of that stuff. And the braid is great for that, but in an ideal situation on my ideal day, I'm going to, I'm going to have a eight pound test mono tied on my, my rod. And you, and you, do you run a leader whatsoever? I mean, I know you got some pike down in that country. Do you got fluorocarbon leader on that? I don't on my mono setups. I just run straight mono on, uh, on all my braid or fireline rods, whatever I do. I do tie leaders on them. And then once we get later into the season where we're using like swim baits or crank baits, I would say mid-May, end of May, I do tie up some 40-pound mono leaders. I call them prairie leaders just because the pike gets so bad. And you can usually get two or three pike before you have to cut that off and put another 40-pound leader on. But it does (laughs) save a lot of baits. Oh, yeah. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by South Dakota's Glacial Lakes. Now, the Glacial Lakes in Northeast South Dakota, we're obviously talking about it in this show with Marcus. There's 100-plus lakes in this area. They all fish well all year long, and it's a multi-species mecca. We probably, on this show, talk so much about walleyes. Maybe in the winter, we're talking about perch, but there's panfish. There's tremendous bass fishing, especially in the open water season, and it's just a multi-species mecca that is super easy to get to, and there's a ton of lakes. There's a ton of fishing opportunities so like i said we talk about it in the past we're talking about it in this show and we're going to keep talking about it because this is one of the midwest's best areas for fishing opportunities throughout the season head to sdglaciallakes.com to find out all kinds of information whether it's fishing reports where to stay just activity options just everything that you need to know when you're planning a destination trip to south dakota glacial lakes region sdglaciallakes.com the link is in the description. Let's get back to the interview. Oh yeah, no, that's just, that's just like always like a just a funny little reminder. It's like a PSA in every episode in North and South Dakota. So if you're gonna try to catch walleyes, be prepared to catch a few pike too. It's the way she goes. It but, is. It is. Yeah. So I kind of want to go back to the patterns a little bit because it is interesting in your area. There's so much water there in that Webster, South Dakota area. So many lakes. But you talk about in the spring where it starts off, you know, south of you naturally, right? The weather, the warm weather comes up. So you can kind of follow that ice out and follow that pre-spawn bite when things are going. I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about sort of the evolution of that bite where, you know, you've got the pre-spawn, you've got the spawn, you know, you get through the spawn and how long that naturally lasts. And then you get into post-spawn. Talk to me about your strategy in the spring. Are you kind of trying to chase that pre-spawn as it comes north? And then do you fall back to the post-spawn just so that you're never fishing lakes that are kind of actively spawning? Talk a little bit about your strategy there when you're picking lakes as the you know over the course of that spawning season. Yeah, so I mean, obviously there is that window during the spawn where you just can't get those fish to bite. 
And uh, so I will, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we do up here is we try to avoid that. And we start our way south, and then we kind of follow the pre-spawn until that fishing gets tough north of us again. And then we'll revert back and go south to post-spawn fish. And, I mean, it depends on the time of year, how long that window lasts. And it's it's different every year depending on Mother Nature, whether how fast we warm up or on a on a fast warm-up year, it, it does go by fast, and we don't have to go as far south. But if it's a slow year, it can it can take a while to have some of those lakes by Webster, north of Webster, to turn back around a post-spawn bite. Right on, man. Um, what are the conditions like lately? I mean, you know, the Midwest, generally speaking, has been in a bit of a drought. What are what what's the conditions down there? The old or what are you anticipating the conditions to be this year? I mean, water levels are they low? Are they high? Are they stable? And kind of how does that affect the fishing in your mind? So our water levels right now, I would say, would be high. Um, Not that we have an exact normal, but just like everybody else here in the upper Midwest, we've got a bunch of snow again. So I I would say our our water levels are going to be as high or higher than, than I've ever seen them this year. And how does that typically affect the fishing? I mean, do you feel like high water patterns the fish slightly differently or or versus low water or do you feel like the pattern is kind of consistent just maybe the spots change a little bit i would say the patterns stay the exact same just the spots change but it's it's like you have a whole new lake to fish some years depending on how high the water gets i mean there's there's times where you know i kind of drive down the road and you can kind of see some of the structure that you might actually be fishing in this spring. It's, it's kind of neat. It's like fishing all new lakes again. You know, along those lines of, uh, you know, we, you know, a lot of the lakes set up pretty consistently in that area. we talked about that and, you know, just, you know, having an understanding or some type of a relationship with your side imaging or, or, you know, or whatever unit you've got, um, being really important. Do you, do you get into the, some of that forward sonar stuff in the spring? Is that a big deal for you whatsoever? It is. I mean, I think that's completely changed the way I have looked at fish. Maybe not the way I've changed, but the way I've looked at spots or fish. Um, before, you let's just use a rock pile, for example. You're like, go by with your side imaging. You're like, oh, there's a rock pile there. There's got to be some fish. You mark it, you go back, and you fish it. You either catch them or you don't. Well, now after going back to some of these spots or rock piles, whatever, uh, I've noticed that the fish, they still use them, but it's a timing deal. Like, they never just sit on the rock pile. They're always going from it to somewhere else or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the forward sonar fishing is... Yeah, really opened my eyes on the way I look at structure spots and how fish move and react. Obviously, there's a lot of like learning and stuff like that, you know, with the forward sonar. That's been such a fun portion of the conversation with it. But especially guys like, you know, just learning it for the first time or kind of getting to know it. A lot of time management issues come up with people as far as their learning curve. How was that for you? I mean, you probably baptized yourself with forward sonar on lakes that you already knew pretty well, but like talk about how talk about how that was for you to fish 
some fish and guide on some of these lakes for a really long time and then kind of bring forward sonar into the mix. Talk a little bit about, you know, some of that learning, some of that eye-opening stuff. Was it was it very validating and things you already knew or was it um, pretty eye-opening to things that you weren't already thinking? It was definitely eye-opening, I would say. Um, the first time I put it on my boat, I actually rigged it in the parking lot before we went out. And I was like, I just got to try this. I got to know. I, uh, buddy backed me in. I dropped the trolling motor. I run an Alltrek, so I mounted it to the trolling motor shaft. And it's kind of just driving around looking. And buddy Jeff was at the dock. He was ready to go. So I drove up with the trolling motor. I'm like, Jeff, you, you're not going to believe this. There's, like, fish everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, they're moving all over. And he's like, oh, show me. So we took off. And we're looking. I know my... My second cast I made, I caught a 25 and a half inch walleye. The second cast I made to a fish. And I was like, so I, 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 I had it for several years in my snow bear. And I instantly kind of got depressed. I was like, I just wasted like two years of my life not having this in the boat. <laughs> I was like, if it's going to be this easy, this is almost unfair. But then, you know, whatever. I mean, not every fish bites. So. That was that was the one time deal where I was like, "Wow, this is awesome!" There's a fish cast to catch a 25 inch walleye. Well, then you actually start fishing with it, and then you got to figure out what's a carp, what's uh, northerns, what's you know whatever. I mean, the first time I used it, we were on the Missouri River, um, so yeah. Then you had to figure out what was catfish and et cetera, et cetera. But I would say, I would say the the thing I learned the most from the forward-facing sonars; those fish are always moving. They, there's not very often do they just sit there and wait. They are always going somewhere. Right on, man. I, I just think I don't know. It's such a popular topic of conversation in the entire fishing industry. You know, bo- both ice fishing and open waters, like forward sonar. Like, you know, what are we learning from it? And you know, realistically, you know, having conversations with guys like you where you know, even if you don't have it in the boat, just listening to some of that conversation and learning, you know, you can kind of tap into some of that tuition and, and learn a little bit. You know, I mean, I think it helps. I think it just helps any average guy, whether they have it or not, you know, just kind of all the cool things that are being learned from it. But that being said, man, you know, what, what would be like the top three things to, to have uh, to bring or be prepared with whether, you know, talking about gear, presentations, strategy, like what's like the top three or five things to, to have ready to go or to know uh, when they're, when somebody might be heading to, uh, you know, around Webster, South Dakota early in the spring to walleye fish? Um, so the top three to me would be some, the first one would be some type of jig with hair on it. I don't know if brand or anything matters depending on the guy. I just know, I mean, guys get confidence in what they use and I do have confidence in a certain couple certain kinds, but I've caught fish on a lot of different brands. Um, that would be the first one. The second one, I, if you don't use mono, I would have a rod ready with mono. And the third thing is, this is in no particular order, would be have a side imaging unit and have confidence in it that that's perfect man so i guess the way we'll the way that we'll wrap this up 
is uh, I just want you to promote yourself, promote your your socials, whatever you want to promote. You know, if you have, you know, sponsors, partnerships, uh, your guide service, just whatever you want to promote, um, go ahead. Also, I own and run Real Therapy Guide Service. Um, we do have a Facebook page and a website, uh, realtherapyguideservice.com. Facebook's Real, Real Therapy. Uh, if you need to reach me, uh, give me a call. That's the best way, 605-940-9943. Done deal, Marcus. Done deal, man. I can, uh, I'll let you back to it. I'll let you back to it, man. But uh, if I haven't said it already, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Bye. Once again, this episode of the JMO Podcast was brought to you by Shields. The link is in the description of this podcast. It'll take you to Shields Fishing Department. You can check out what they got. The South Dakota Glacial Lakes region, sdglacialakes.com. The link is in the description.